Greetings all and welcome to Margin Call, the podcast and editorial meeting for Quest On Media. I'm your host, Russell Morse. Uh, welcome, listeners. Welcome, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, we have a, a pretty exciting show today. As you all know, we do a lot of election. Well, we do a lot of election coverage, but we do more education coverage than election coverage. <laughs> um, and the reason we have conversations about education partly is that we do a lot. Um, we talk about youth. We talk about youth culture. Um, and when we do have political conversations, one of the ways that the federal government really, well, and the government in general, uh, impacts our lives is when we talk about how we structure education what education looks like in our communities, how we teach young people, where we get teachers, um, what the thinking behind education should be. Um, and so we wanted to have a much broader conversation about what that might look like. Um, and this seems like an appropriate time because we are revisiting our uh, thoughts about education because we've been forced to teach remotely now, which makes us ask a lot of questions about what engagement is like, what our obligations are as teachers and educators, what services schools should be providing and can they provide um, as a result of this pandemic. And in some ways, uh, like a lot of other industries, um, the pandemic has forced us to examine what we've done right and what we've done wrong. And, and there is actually some an opportunity for some change. Uh, and another opportunity for change, I think right now, as everybody knows, is that we have a new administration in the White House, which means that we might have a different philosophy for education. Um, there's much to be said about the previous administration uh, and their attitudes towards education. This is a kind of a tale as old as time. Uh, and there's a lot of partisanship involved. But um, we're hoping to have a conversation today about the larger ideas ideas about what education could be and should be, um, how that relates to compulsory education, public schools. Um, and I'm very excited that that brings uh, this week's guest to us. Uh, our, this week's guest is Dr. Ben Bernstein. Uh, he's a veteran psychologist and educator. He specializes in top performance. He's written a number of books about how stress affects performance. Um, but, you know, Dr. Bernstein is a person who has a lot of experience, a lot of insight, and has spent a lot of time thinking critically about what education is and what it could be. Um, I'm very happy that it brings him to the show. Welcome, uh, Dr. Bernstein. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you, Russell. It's just a total pleasure to be here. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to this conversation because, you you know, you sent us some materials and some excerpts from some of your writing that forced me personally to confront my own thoughts about education. Uh, I, you know, I, as people who listen to the show know, I had uh, a pretty rocky past. I had like lots of ups and downs in my life. I did well in school. I didn't do well in school. Um, and now I'm uh, getting a master's degree at NYU and I'm teaching. My relationship to education has been crazy. When I was a kid, I thrived in some environments. I didn't do well in others. Um, and now I think I'm thinking more comprehensively about what education is and what it could be. Uh, so as I read through your materials, I mean, I, I zeroed in on a lot of things, but one thing in particular is that you were able to kind of boil down uh, four main principles for what you call the four main principles for sound education. Um, and I wanted to go over those a little bit because some of this is very fundamental. Some of this is just like how people learn. It's not about political structures. It's not about what education should be or could be. Um, and the, the very first one is that we learn by doing, right, which is very different from most of our experiences in school or many of our experiences in school where, you know, I think the stereotype is you memorize a date, you cram a bunch of information in there, you have an exam, you regurgitate it. Um, and there are a lot of different modes of education and there are a lot of educators doing different things. But I like this idea um, of starting off with this principle, we learn by doing. 
Um, can you kind of walk us through these principles, how you identified them? We can, we can go one by one and I'll introduce some of the others. Uh, the second one is the world is one. It is a community, which obviously is a central tenant. We'll, we'll go over these individually, but maybe you can talk a little bit about how you were able to identify four main principles uh, for sound education and how that might not be the way that we're approaching education in this country right now. Sure. I'd be happy to. Um, so one thing about my bio is that I started teaching in 1969. That was the last century. And um, I was a teacher in the first Head Start program in this country in Maine, which started then. So um, preschool program, very exciting. And um, uh, I was going to college in Maine and I was a volunteer. Um I got launched into a program that was available for uh, recent college male college graduates because it was the height of the Vietnam War and um, they needed teachers in depressed areas of major cities. And I'm from New York and um, you could actually get a deferment from the army if you were willing to go into then known as ghetto schools. So I applied for this coming out of college and uh, I was put into schools in Bedford-Stuyvesant in Brooklyn, which is where I'm from. But coming back to Brooklyn after college and coming back to that section of Brooklyn, which was only about 20 minutes from where I actually lived, but I had never fully been there, it was a real eye-opener for me to see poor poor children coming to school in the middle of winter in, you know, skimpy party dresses with thin shoes, their feet freezing and soaking, sitting down to mostly white middle-class Jewish teachers who were certainly well-meaning, many of them, but some of them, I mean, on my very first day, one of the teachers said to me, just stop me in the hallway and put her hand on my arm and looked at me and said, this is a means to an end. And it was like hard for me to figure out exactly whose end she was talking about. But I realized this is not the way to teach. I knew that education had to be better than this. And I had the great good fortune of hearing about a lecture that was going on up at City College by a woman who was the head of an English um, infant school. So infant school meant children four to seven years old. And she was giving a lecture up at City College. And I just went up um, and listened to her lecture. And she showed slides of the school. And it was so full of light and color. And the kids were happy and they were engaged. And this is in a very poor neighborhood in London. And I was mesmerized. I was mesmerized by her, by the visuals, but she was just such a fountain of, of light herself. So happy. And, you know, this is a principle of the school and how much she loved the children and the teachers. And so I sat through the next time she gave the lecture again, right after, and I sat through it all over again. At the end of it, I went up to her and I said, um, you know, could I come and visit you? They went to school in July and we were off obviously in June. She said, yeah, come anytime. Well, in a month's time to cut the story short, I was on a plane to London and um, I got trained and uh, and then uh, certified, licensed as a teacher in, in London and then worked in her school. Now, the you have to imagine a school in a very poor neighborhood, kids very, you know, with very little means, families very little means, clamoring at the school gate every morning for the school to open. 
Okay. Wow. And so they would come into classrooms and these are classrooms of like 35 children and one teacher, no assistance, but the classrooms were set up as activity areas. So in any one classroom, you had a place where kids could do building and there was wood and hammers and saws. And there was a kitchen area where they could cook and there was a sewing area where they could sew and they could dress up. And it was incredible. And so to it, learning all happened through the through the activity of the children. I once heard a, a, a lecturer when I was there. I heard a lecturer speak about this, and she said, "We our mission is to match two meanings of the word interest. We have to teach the children what is in their interest in a way that is interesting to them." And that was like a one eighty in my head, you know. Yeah. So so. There's a Chinese proverb that I think is relevant here, which says the following, and it's pertinent to learning. I hear and I forget. I see and I remember. I do and I understand. Okay. Uh, yeah. So think about it, Russell. Did you ever, did you ever ride a, a two-wheeler? Uh, like a bicycle? Yeah. I can ride a bicycle, yes. Okay. So you didn't learn that by somebody telling you how to do that. That's right? true. Yeah. Okay. And did you learn to tie your shoes? Uh, at some point, yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Unless you've been slip-ons your whole life. I, I used Velcro for a while, but yeah. <laughs> well, hey, Velcro was bomb. Don't do that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 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 <laughs> so, um, yeah, but you didn't learn that from watching a YouTube it's, we learn by doing. We learn activity is the is the is the basis of how we learn. Our education system is really based on hearing and seeing, not on doing. So you 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 rightfully spoke about the the process of quote unquote learning which means then memorizing, which means regurgitating. You left out one thing. What happens when somebody regurgitates? You get rid of it as quickly as possible. Oh, yeah, get it out. Get it down on the paper. Forget it forever. Okay, yeah. right. Okay. So, because it's also, it's like, who needs it around? You know, I mean, I don't want to extend that metaphor too far, but, but, but how much do you remember? How much does any of us remember from the fourth grade or the eighth grade or the 12th grade or college for that matter? We don't. Yeah. It doesn't stick. It doesn't yeah. have meaning for us. Now, that's not totally true of everybody's education, and there are incredible teachers in the world, all over the world, and I know many of them. But for the most part, our education system as it is now is actually based on the assembly line system that you know, really got kicked up after the Industrial Revolution or in the Industrial Revolution. Assembly line, right? One size fits all, stamp, 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 in and out. You know, meant to fulfill a function, and that's it. Yeah, that's how we built. Uh, you know, the Model T, and yeah. uh, I, I think McDonald's was, uh, you know, built on the assembly line. <laughs> so <laughs> it would make sense, right? If you're uh, um, a country that's looking for laborers, right, that you would you would replicate that model and say, like, all right, well, here's what here's what you do at, at the Ford factory. Here's what you do at McDonald's. <laughs> exactly. So so um, that is that's a way. Of education, it's, a, it's certainly a way of mass education because you can mass produce uh, curricula, you can mass produce materials, but the level of engagement, if you think about it, um, all the way from top down, is I'm going to say 
actually minimal because it's one thing to create a book that has certain exercises or experience, but it's another thing to actually create experiences that a child or young adult has to go through in order to learn. Okay. So, so, um, the, the part of learning by doing is that we've, we've, I think we've misconstrued thinking as doing Descartes, you know, is known for saying, I think, therefore I am. And there's something in that in terms of human consciousness and the human mind. But thinking is an activity, but it's a, I was, I'm going to call it a negative subset of the positive whole of action. So in other words, if you conceive of action as the whole, uh, it's constituted by its own negative, which is thinking. Why is it thinking negative? Because I'm not engaging with anybody. I'm, I am, I am in a sense, retreating into my own head. Nothing wrong with that, but we can't stay there because we don't live in a world, we don't live in an I world, we live in a we world. This is going to come into the next thing that I spoke about or wrote about related to the world as community. Anyway, so that's the that's the um, business about, about learning by doing. Right. I mean, there are a lot of really important points in there. Some of it, you know, raises questions for me about what we have prioritized in terms mm-hmm. of what we learn in yep. school. I think there are a lot of like cliches about like, oh, you know, I never learned how to, you know, pay my bills. I never learned how to like, <laughs> you're not really prepared for adult life. A lot of the stuff that we get is uh, either like historical propaganda that props up, uh, you know, the American mythology yep. uh, or other things that just seem completely irrelevant. Yep. Um, and I wonder how much this like learn by doing, um, comes up against the problem of what our priorities are, right? Like when I was in, uh, middle school, I guess I'm thinking about like, yeah, what did I, what did I learn in terms of history? I was, you know, studying, uh, feudal England and feudal Japan in a class that I kind of liked, right? I thought that was very interesting. It helped me to understand history very well. Right. Um, cause they compared two different parts of the world that have had a similar social structure. And that kind of stuck with me cause it was, it was different, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I'm, I'm wondering if in something like history, like if you're tying your shoes or riding a bike, that's a physical act, right? So yeah. you got to do it yeah. to learn it. Sure. Um, but you know, if you're learning about feudal Japan, I don't know. I, you know, we read some books and I got some lectures and I took notes and I, I did a final project. What would learn by doing, um, what would that look like in a different setting? Or if you're dealing with a subject that might not be so active necessarily, but is, is something that might be more intellectual, more, more of the mind. Well, it's a great question. Um, I mean, what comes to me is um, perhaps working backwards. You know, uh, history is a really important subject for us to know about. Mostly, if if we really learned history, we would not repeat the mistakes of the past, but we might really, you know, grow from them. So I would say, you know, what learning by doing would be, and and the world is so set up for this now, which is to connect with people in Japan, kids in Japan, or teenagers in Japan, and, you know, have them take you to a place where, you know, the feudal you know, battleground was or whatever. I mean, you, you see what I'm saying. It can get yeah. it can get a lot more active. When you mm-hmm. were speaking, it reminded me that in 1974, I took a long trip around South America. So I took a, a, a freighter from New York City to uh, Brazil, and I got off in Rio. And I'm walking around in Rio, and I'm I go, oh my god, 
kids wear braces here. Oh my God, this cool whip here. It's like, I didn't, my education about Latin America was so thin and so minimal. And like, there's a whole world going on down here. Right. You know, and I'm, I, first of all, I'm no slouch. Secondly, I've been, you know, well educated, but to, it was astounding what I didn't know about the world. So to answer your question, it's my intuitive sense is that let's start where we are. If we want to go backwards, let's go backwards to see, you know, it's like looking at the roots, right? Rather than just look at the roots. You want to connect it. Learning has to be more connected altogether. Yeah. So it's a great question, but I think, I think, um, you know, it's just multi-level. And I think the other thing I want to say about this in response is, is that I think we have to train and trust teachers to be as imaginative as they can be. Because teachers, for the most part, will be like parents. They will teach either the way they were taught, if it was, if they liked it and it worked, or kind of stay away from it. And, you know, there are great teacher education programs. There's no question about it. I don't want to, you know, uh, summarily put down everything because I'm not. But for the most part, I don't know as if we really work to engage the teacher's imagination about teaching something, Right. Yeah. You no. Know, like get a two group of five teachers together, ask the same question that you just asked. I bet you'd come up with some really interesting stuff. Yeah. No, I agree. No. I agree. I think that's a big part of it too. Yeah. Um, I your story about Brazil actually reminded me of this point uh, that the world is one and the world is a community. Yeah. Uh, obviously, uh, a beautiful concept. I'm curious, how does that relate to? Uh, education? How is that a tenet or a main principle for sound education? The world is one. So I'm reminded strongly of seeing those pictures coming back from Apollo 8 in 1987 of the Earth suspended in space. And it was stunning for me to see that because I, I never, I didn't know what that look like or seem like but from that distance there are no there are no boundaries there are no states there are no cities there's there's this beautiful blue ball in the sky and that sense of one really hit me that this is one world it's one unit and we are all part of that so what does that actually mean that means that the earth is a our home. It means that the earth is a, is a place of nature. The way this planet is structured, it's all about nature and it's all about sharing nature. Uh, growing, I have a lot, my wife and I have a lot of experience in India. Um, uh, we've gone back and forth there for the last 10 years and uh, getting involved with Indian medicine, which is called Ayurveda. It's all based on nature. So, so let's keep that going about that. We all, we all live on this and in this one house. This is a community. Now, going back to the feudal society concept, in the, the older cultures and what we call the more primitive cultures were always communities, families or communities. Everyone participated. Everyone served a purpose. Right. Why is diversity and inclusion such a big issue now? And it's a major issue, and it's an essential major issue, because we have so forgotten that we are all part of one. Right. 
and that we actually we actually not only depend upon that and should rely upon that, but we should cherish that. There are there are in the world. Uh, I just did a little research on this. So I want to just pull it up because I I'm not good at remembering facts. So give me a second. <laughs> um, no, but I did a little research on this because I'm writing a blog post for uh, Psychology Today. So I didn't know that th- this, but there are. I'm going to just find that there are 195 countries in the world, right? Of every color, white is actually not a color. It's the absence of color. So it's of every color. There are 4,200 religions. Okay. That's a big number. That one I didn't know. I didn't know either. I didn't know it either. And there are, you know, people who are able-bodied and people who are differently abled, Right. There are mentally ill people and mentally fit people there. This is a this world is itself is truly a melting pot. So when we learn about the other rather than push the other away or we've just come through four years of demonizing the other, all we can actually bet on is we're going to have strife. Right. Because and I'm going to extend this a little bit. So give me a a, you know, forgive me here, but I, there are two forces in the world, love and fear. That's it. It's not love and hate. It's love and fear. But we've been living in a period and we live in a period of a lot of fear. What are we so afraid of? We can gain so much from each other. We can give so much to each other. I heard a philosopher on the radio about a year ago say we're meant to be givers, not takers. I just love that. Yeah. Right. When we give, we will receive. So that that's where I'm coming from with this, with the with the sense of the world as one. It is a community, and we are all members of that community, and we all serve a function in that community. So coming back to education again, in that classroom that I described that I was trained in, it, every kid also had a chore. Every kid also had a responsibility to keep the the, the room going. Right. Make sure this is refreshed. Make sure you have enough pencils. Make sure, and and everyone served a function. Right. And that's that's that is a prototype of what the world could be. Now, is that because one of your main principles here states that each of us is here to make a unique uh, contribution to yeah. the greater good of the community. So is right. that an extension of yes. the idea that the world is one, it is a community, and what that looks like in a classroom is building a community of that group of people where each person has a role, yeah. and that's kind of a foundation for yes. that? It's yeah. a found- I love that you said foundation because it's, a, um, it's the beginning of that process. That child, when I look at a picture now on my wall of me with this class of 35 kids, right? They're all four or five years old. This is 55 years ago, right? So where are those kids now? Their grandparents or their, right? So, but so that process starts there. You have a responsibility. But I want to take this a little further. Education. The word education in English comes from a Latin root. Actually, there's two Latin roots that are similar, but but quite different. One is educare and one is educere. Okay, educere, this is where the English education comes from. Educere means to, to lead or to draw forth. 
Educare means to train, okay? We have favored an educational system that just trains, not one that draws forth. So what do I mean by that? That every child has in her or him is the seed of whatever they're going to grow into. And whatever they grow into, think about flowers in a garden, whatever they grow into is going to be unique to them. And it can, should, and will serve a purpose if we draw that forth consistently and properly over the time of their education. It's it's very, very hard to do that. I Believe me, I know how hard that is. But that's why we end up with, I don't, I can't even cite the statistics of, you know, black male children dropping out of high school at enormous rates. It, it's right. no relevance. They don't see the purpose of it. And why should they, right? So they fall into a model that unfortunately has also been perpetuated by society, you know, then the school to prison pipeline, and it gets, it just, the whole thing kind of caves in. So if we really conceived of education as drawing forth and then training, we would have a world of more self-realized individuals who not only would appreciate who they were, and value who they were, but they would value other people. We have so much to learn from each other. And for what all kinds of reasons, we're so scared of that. But if we can turn, when we can turn that around, I'm not going to say if, when we can turn that around, we'll realize how rich an experience life could really be. When I was 15, I had, so, you know, whatever year that was, I had um, 15 pen pals all over the country. So this is like way before computers. Everything, you know, if I, you've, I'm sure you've seen stamps, Russell, like envelopes and stamps. Just I'm to, familiar. <laughs> I've heard of them. <laughs> right. So, so, so um, but you know what a joy it was to go to the mailbox every day and look for this letter on this, you know, bright airmail station. I, yeah, it's I, called I, Amazon. I, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, think about that for a minute, Amazon. I mean, the, just the word. It's like, you know, I um, hopefully Jeff Bezos knows where it is. But, um, but uh, oh, yeah, I could get I could get going on that one. <laughs> so, so um but, but what I'm saying is is that this 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 interplay of me with these 15 different teenagers around the world where we exchanged letters with birthday cards, Christmas presents, it was so rich to learn about each other, photographs. you, you know so that this this interconnectivity um, is uh, just was so enlivening. Was that pen pal program? Is that something you sought out yourself or was that? You know, I'm thinking about it. No, it wasn't. No, schools weren't doing it then. Um, And and there I know of a couple. I know of one really good program, but that just sort of collapsed with COVID, unfortunately. Um, No, it wasn't. I don't remember how I got them. There was something I wrote to. I think you had to write, you know, write a letter. Um, And uh, I don't recall, actually, but but um, there was some kind of match up service. There was some way of matching up. Yeah. And it was just great. 
Well, in some ways, I mean, we are replicating that in a lot of ways using communication technology now. Yeah. I always think about gamers who you just like pop on your headset and then all of a sudden you're like playing with somebody who's people who are in like seven different countries around the yeah. world. Yeah. You know, and there, yeah, there's, there's, an, there are many, many examples of cultural exchanges like that, which is part of what I wanted to ask you about is a lot of these tenants, like I said at the top of the show, we are really seriously reevaluating education right now because yeah. we're forced to do it remotely. Right, right. Um, and it's because we have a global crisis. But, you know, a lot of times, as you know, when there is a crisis, it's an opportunity to look at something totally. and think, like, how valuable is this? Should we be in a rush to go back and keep doing this the way we've always done it? Should we consider a new model now that people can do these things remotely? We've been talking about remote schooling um, for higher education more seriously for years because it saves people money. There is a way for, you know, you can get a degree remotely and choose your own schedule. Um, and and there are benefits to that and, and there are drawbacks to that. I mean, one of the drawbacks I, I would imagine is if you're talking about learning by doing and you're talking about a classroom community and an actual physical community uh i think a lot of people would say that's part of what we're losing now by doing remote communication because social interaction is very important um but on the other hand it allows people again you could attend a school internationally uh i'm, I'm wondering what your thoughts are about you know now that we're thinking about remote learning uh if there's a way to try and implement some of these ideas or, or is remote learning maybe an impediment to this? I'm, I'm curious, what are your thoughts about the state of education it's, right now it, in it, the pandemic? It's a great question. And I, I really appreciate what you said about the pandemic as offering us an opportunity because it has in a lot of ways, right? Um, uh, one of the ways that we're talking about now is how education is handled. And it's been a tremendous challenge and struggle for teachers and for parents and for kids. You know, I coach a lot of, in my private practice as a psychologist, a performance psychologist, I coach a lot of teenagers, high school teenagers. It's a horrible time to be in high school right now. They're missing their senior year. They don't, you know, none of the things that they know. So, so we are in a time of transition and I really don't like, and you didn't use this, but I really don't like the phrase return to normal. Like what? Yeah. I mean, when was, when was normal, you know, and what is normal? And that's probably, that's a big problem with our whole system. It was like, there's a normal. Um, so what I want to say is, is that I'm sure we're going in the direction of a hybrid model of, of how can we use both technology and remote learning and, um, and uh, there's even a problem if you think about it with the term remote learning, right? Because it already suggests distance. Yeah. So, so I think we, our concept is going to shift, I hope, to what, what can we really get out of this form of learning and how can we, will, how can and when will we be able to balance that with more in-person experiences that may look very different from kids sitting in a classroom. You know, we can already see this. Unfortunately, we see it mostly in, in communities of privilege where they can actually do these little pods outside and all. Yeah. But, but that, you know, if we if we can look at the possibilities in that, it could get incredibly rich to have both together integrated. That would be a wonderful challenge to take on, to create a curriculum that integrated you know, online learning with with uh, in-person learning. I do want to say one thing about what you said about gamers. Um, 
the issue with gamers and the issue right now about uh, about being on computers is that most kids, and I'm going to say up through high school at least, have are using computers for two purposes. One is playing games and the other is social media. Okay. Now, both are some form of, of you know, kickback entertainment that require a certain set of skills, but that are different from the skills of really um, absorbing something right? Probing something, paying attention that you have to pay attention when you're playing a game. But I think we really have to take how that happens without pumping up kids dopamine, you know, making them addicted to get them engaged in in learning that goes on online. You know, when I, when I, when I work with kids, online, uh, you know, because I, they're facing me right on the screen, I just see their eyes just gently shift over to the side, you know, and they look like they they think they look like they're looking at me, but I know they're looking at their notifications or they're looking at, you know, what's popping up or their eyes slowly go down. And I know that they're looking at their phone. Right. So, it's we're in a we're in really a period of transition about how we would how we can use technology and I, yeah. I you know I hope I live long enough to see it it used in the richest way uh, to support learning. The other yeah. thing the other thing too I would say the a huge challenge of course the teachers and parents how how we train teachers and how teachers I mean my heart goes out to teachers who every day have to go online now and deal with a classroom of kids that they can only see their faces. You know, yeah. how hard must that be? You know, or a parent who, you know, I, I know one family here in uh, in, uh, South, in Northern California. The mother is a third grade teacher. They uh, The father is a physical therapist. They both work online and they have three school age children. And each of them is on a computer. That's five computers in one household. Right. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. That's a lot. Really crazy. And there's so much, there's, you know, the other part of it, I just have to add this, is is that um, the nervous system, our nervous system is not meant to be on a screen for this length of time. I could really go into this about how our eyesight is structured, but Mm -hmm. I'll just say briefly, when you're on a screen and I'm looking at you or you're looking at me, you're using your central vision and the central vision is hardwired to your sympathetic nervous system, which amps you up, fight or flight. I know, I know right? Oh, yeah. Exactly. So I train everybody to how do you relax your eyes, you know, on schedule, so that you can go out of your sympathetic nervous system and switch into the parasympathetic nervous system, which calms you down. But we're getting, we get, you know, we have a lot of amped up kids running around now. <laughs> well, it's true. I am. It's. I think about this often. You know, the role of technology, because uh, I, I, I feel like there are kind of two camps. It's almost like generational. Uh-huh. You know, like yeah. at a certain point, people of a certain age are just like, "Oh my God, these this new generation is being destroyed right. by technology." You know, and then there's like this pushback from younger people who are just like, "Oh my God, like how could you dismiss this wonderful tool that right, has opened sure. up the world to people?" Sure. Um, I think I straddle both sides. I do this with any issue i'm all you know i'm a libra so i'm always trying to see what oh, both sides are saying right. and i don't come down you do, really do great. i do i do but oh, wow. I, I don't think i come down really hard on on either side particularly on that issue because yeah. i think that, yeah. that, you know they both have a point but one 
thing that is interesting to me as it relates to education and technology is, um, you know, there was a time, let's say, you know, I wanted to learn about feudal Japan. Mm-hmm. You know, I had, my options were kind of limited. Either I was like lucky enough that I was in a class where that, right. that's happened to be what they were teaching that day or mm-hmm. that month. Um, or if I was like really motivated, I could like go to the library and then look through the card catalog and like yeah. hope that my branch had like some right. a good selection right. you know, right. of books about feudal yeah. Japan. Mm-hmm. But I really just, and I know a lot of young people now who do this, who are just like, oh, I read everything I need to know about feudal japan on the internet do you right, know what i mean like right, I, yeah. Wikipedia. I yeah and I, I you know i used to work with a relatively young guy uh very very smart kind of an autodidact and we would talk a lot we did outreach work together so we'd walk around on the street looking for uh homeless kids and uh-huh, do an outreach uh-huh. but there was also a lot of dead time so we would just right. sit around and, and talk about a lot of ideas and he was younger than me very very smart and then i you know i i recommended a book to him. i was like oh if you're interested in that you should read this he's like oh i'm like it's crazy to say this, but like, I've never read a book, you know, he was like, I've never read yeah. a book before. Oh, God. And, so but, you, but you know what? Like I, at first I thought, wow, it really blew my mind. And I thought, oh, that's like sad and terrible. But then I thought about how like actually educated he was and how good he was at yeah. kind of seeking out the yeah. information he wanted sure. online. Sure. Like he was a guy who was like, oh, I, I read Reddit. I read Wikipedia. I watch YouTube videos. Right. I like I right. follow the links all the way to the end. And he was as well-educated and informed as a person who, mm-hmm. you know, had read every book they were supposed to. And it kind of sometimes makes me think, you know, does that shift the role of education? Whereas you're saying you cultivate the spirit, let's say as a young person, you decide like, oh, like I, you know, I want to build motorcycles, you know, you like go on and you watch YouTube videos and you can, you can, it's so much easier to be an autodidact and cultivate your own spirit. And, you know, schools, I think used to be the keepers of knowledge, almost like, like you have to come here in order to get it. And and in some ways, I think that relationship has changed. Like, and I think school has to adjust to meet that. In, in some ways and recognize like we are not the keepers of knowledge. We are something else. We are a community. We are maybe enablers of, you know, cultivating the spirit as, as, as you're saying, but it is interesting to see that, that I think it is very possible in a way that it didn't used to be to kind of, you know, self-educate and school. I don't want to, school is not irrelevant. And I, you know, I don't think right. that's the right word, but right. I could see being a young person and thinking like, why would I need to go to school and I can learn everything I want from the internet right now? <laughs> well, I, I, I totally second what you're saying. I mean, I get parents calling me, you know, regularly, you know, my child is not into school, you know, yeah. you know, and I'm like, are we, okay, what do you expect me to do? I mean, it's like, <laughs> you know, I totally get it that they're not into school. You know, I'm going to guess, Russell, that, you know, your interest in feudal Japan, as, as an example, also had something to do with some inspiration of the teacher, possibly, you know, that yeah. there was something going on yeah. with the teacher. So, so you're, you're, what you just said is so um, rich and provocative in the sense that, you know, when we take a longer view of history as the development of consciousness, of human consciousness, right? The way of cultivating human consciousness shifts and changes and, and, and evolves. And so, you know, we don't, you don't have to read a book now. And you, there are all these um, means and methods of accessing information and of training. And again, it goes back to those two meanings of educate, you know, drawing forth and shaping or molding. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, I think, I, again, I think we're headed toward a, a model that's very different than um, 
than anything we've probably seen. I, I say something about this. In, in my work, one of the things that I realize, because I do a lot of work with um, people uh, from high school up through advanced ages who have to take tests, and they fall apart when they take tests. And I'm fascinated, I've been fascinated by the phenomenon of why a person who studies well, well-prepared, you know, knows the material, crosses the thresholds and falls apart. What's going on? Right. And, you know, I wrote my first book called The uh, Crush Your Test Anxiety. The subtitle is How to Be Calm, Confident, and Focused on Any Test. Okay. So when I looked at it, you know, I've worked with lots of athletes from amateur athletes to professional athletes, um, all kinds of business people, um, successful people. I don't mean just making money, but fulfilled people. They all have these three qualities. They're calm, they're confident, and they're focused. Right. Now, when people come to me, a parent comes to me with a teenager and says, she needs higher SAT scores. I can train her to get higher SAT scores, but I tell the kid and I tell the parents immediately, I'm not doing this work so your child can get higher SAT scores. I'm doing this work because they need the skills to handle challenges for the rest of their life. SAT is one challenge. You're going to have a lifetime of challenges, and wouldn't you want to be calm, confident, and focused in any challenge that you face? Okay, so I just want to hone in now on the word focus because focus comes. I love looking up words and etymology. The focus comes from the Latin root that means hearth or fireplace. Now, if you think of a school, like even the physical building of a school, as more like a hearth or fireplace. What's a hearth or fireplace? It's a gathering place. It's the center of the home. It's where meals were cooked. It's where heat and light were generated. So think of schools as that kind of of hearth or fireplace. That's the place where you get inspired, where you get fed, where you get nourished, where you, you know, things transform, they go in. I think I think it's a, just a different conception of of what school can be like. You know, yeah. what if you what if one assignment, I'm sure this is happening. I'm not dialed into this, but I'm sure there are teachers who say to kids, go on YouTube, find five videos about that subject. You can do it. Yeah. You know, I'm sure there are. There have to be. Yeah. Right. Um, but but this we're 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 at we're at the beginning, and COVID is making this happen. Of how do we put this all together? So it's a very exciting time. It Thank is. God we have a new administration with a new Secretary of Education who is. You know, he's uh, uh, Miguel Cardonas. He's a uh, superintendent. He's the head of Connecticut schools. You know, I'm sure this guy is a lot more connected into what's going on than Betsy DeVos was. Anyone can be more than. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> Amy. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually glad uh, you brought up the new administration uh, because that was going to be that's how I wanted to kind of finish our conversation here is because I'm very interested, obviously, conceptually, but then. Um, at the end of any conceptual conversation, I like to think about, you know, what does this look like in terms of implementation, right? Um, and there are a lot of considerations. One thing is just like, all right, fine. Yeah, there's there's a change in administration. So now we'll have somebody else looking at education. You know, to what extent is that an opportunity to implement ideas like this? Or are you thinking, you know, this kind of implementation is um, something that's not going to happen at a governmental level? Or is this something, you know, I, I, I just wonder 
what it looks like to implement ideas like this? Should we be thinking about policy? Uh, you know, because education is one of, you know, it's such a complicated system. It's such a big, you know, there's like federal funding, state funding, local funding, teachers, unions, parents, you know, it's like, you can't, change anything in any school without everybody freaking out. Um, so sometimes I think even though, yes, it is better to have someone who seems to know what's going on in charge of, uh, you know, ed- education policy. Um, but I don't know what that does to get at these fundamentals. So I'm, I'm kind of curious what you think about what that looks like in terms of implementation and, and yeah, what your thoughts might be on this, on this new administration and their approach to education. Well, um, I'm ever hopeful um, I'm ever optimistic because I look at possibility, you know, rather than limitation. All the things you mentioned are true. They're real. There's there's always been a struggle between just federal and state governments. You know, the education has been under the purview of state boards of education. And yet federal funding is really vital, right? So how... Can and I'm also a top-down guy, but we have to also consider bottom-up, which is like, what about diversity and inclusion? These are this is a major national issue now, and thank God it is that it, we are like we really have to open this up, handle it, talk about it, and that requires people who are at the ground level saying, you know, this is what we need, and it requires people at the top level listening to them. You know, thank goodness Kamala Harris comes from Oakland. Yay, Oakland. That's where I'm sitting right now, right? Well, this is a this is huge in the sense of, you know, like we got to put this together. So the challenges are enormous for all the reasons that you mentioned. Yeah. But that's why I think we have to come back to some of these root principles about this is a we all can learn from each other. We have to include the other as part of our education. We have to we have to see each person being a productive contributing member of the whole. I, I guess what I'm saying here is is that until and unless we're guided by some really deeply rooted principles about the world and about how people learn, we're just going to get same old same old and it's going to be hard. There's no question about it. But you know, everything everything you have to you have to I, I want to use the word fight, but you have to persevere. You know, in the Chinese uh, Book of Changes, 5,000-year-old oracle called the I Ching, there's a phrase that I love. It's perseverance furthers. You have, we have to persevere. We have to, we have to have a vision and aspiration and keep moving toward it. Focus is a noun and a verb. The noun is the goal and the verb are the actions that take you to the goal. Yeah. I think the Latin word is the uh, motto of New York State, Excelsior. Would that be? uh, I don't know. (laughs) Ever ever onward, I think. Ever onward is the Excelsior. Great. I'm a New Yorker and I don't even know. Okay. So, um, but yeah, well, it is. This is a, we're a moving, we're a moving story, you know? And so I, I wish I could say to you, oh, well, this is how it has to happen, but it has to be top and bottom come together, Right. We have to listen to what people in the community need. There's such a disparity in 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 how schools are provided for. I mean, that just that alone, right? The inequities of what schools are provided. You know, some have quality facilities, gymnasia. You know, and some have leaky ceilings. Yeah. 
right? I think that, you know, I always think that you hear this from, uh, you hear it in real estate a lot. It's, you hear it so much that we kind of just have accepted that as part of the world, but people will say, oh, you know, we're looking at, you know, uh, getting an apartment uh, on this block because right. they're, they're good schools. Right. You know? Yes. Which yes. suggests the idea, one, that there are bad schools. Yeah. And that we just accept that. Like the right. answer to that is not like improve the schools. The answer to that is just like go live somewhere where they're good and do whatever you have to to get there. And that is just like it's it's awful. It seems so cynical. It is. You know, oh, yeah. no, the neighborhood, no, the schools are good. The schools like, well, are good. Yeah, all the schools should be good. <laughs> Why are we, dude? You you're hitting that nail right on the head. Yeah, you're hitting it right on the head. We live in my wife and I live in a part of Oakland. Moved here in 21 years ago, and it was just finishing the whole drug thing, and people were still getting shot on the corner. And we had we're two blocks away from a public school, um, uh, K through eight. Uh, no, so K through six. And so I went over to just um, offer to volunteer, but I wanted to just observe, you know, and. It was heartbreaking. Um, the kids, I clocked it. I did my own little study. 70% of the teacher's time was spent just trying to get the kids quiet. Right? And and kids, who, who what, what eight-year-old is meant to sit at a desk all day? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it doesn't compute. You know, but, but. So they, so the kid, you know, I was sitting next to a little girl. I remember this so distinctly. And the teacher gives them an assignment and she's passing notes to the kid next to her and little candies and things. And the teacher's like, are you doing the assignment? And she says, yes. The teacher turns away. She turns to me and she says, help me. Can you help me with this? Like that. Right. So it's like, it's it's very sad. So yeah, we, we she knew what that, (laughs) like, was she a new teacher? No, 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 no. This teacher, was, no, she not at all. She, what year was this, by the way? This was in, well, we say we moved here in 98. So I was saying it was 99 or 2000, something like that. Right. right. So so this thing about, good, you know, a neighborhood with good schools. Oh, that's that's so sad. Yeah. And it, it says so much about what we need to do. I don't like to talk in negativity, you know, like to say, oh, it says so much about what's wrong. It says so much about what we need to do. Let's think yeah. forward. Excelsior, right? Excelsior. <laughs> <laughs> Ever onward. Yeah. 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 So I, I, um, I, I, I really think looking to where we want to go, having that focus, having that aspiration is, is, the real hope of the future. Well said. Well said. Uh, I want to thank you for being here. This was a really enlightening conversation for me. And sometimes I get bogged down in the policy aspects of things and I uh-huh. need to see the big picture and pull back a little bit. So this was a very helpful reminder. As you've heard, you know, when we've covered education in the past, there's a lot of immediate stuff happening that sure. we need to talk about. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. And those, those subjects are important. Uh, but I really, really appreciate, you know, your approach here. Where we pull back and think about what what the objective of education should be, could be, has been, yeah. and and can be uh, in the future. Yeah, given our given our incredible resources worldwide, you know, given our incredible, given the given the depth of heart in the human being, when we can really mine that, we can really mine connection, mine caring, compassion, empathy, love. I mean, you know, I, I do want to say there's no end to the possibility. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. 
I agree. I'm an optimist as well. Eming will tell you whenever we have conversations like this, I'm always trying to redirect them a little bit because I don't have any fear of confronting, yeah. you know, these difficult social no. issues. But yeah. I, I don't like to linger yeah. uh, on the on the darkness of it because right. I do think, that's as why you've you said, have me. yeah. Well, you know, that's why Eming and I are such a good team. You know, <laughs> but Russell, I have news for you. Yes, I'm also a Libra. There you so go. See, that makes sense. We're both optimists. Exactly. You know? Well, we balance it out yeah. is what you're saying, yeah. you know. Yeah, so we, we can start the, the Libra, you know, whatever, Excelsiors. <laughs> Libra Excelsiors. Boom. I'll, we'll make jackets, you know. It'll be like, like Greece, you know. <laughs> Libra Excelsiors on the back. Uh, there you go. This has been great. I, I really want to thank you for being oh, here. Oh, my pleasure. Very, very illuminating conversation. Yeah. Uh, so thanks to my guest, uh, Dr. Bernstein, who uh, is an educator and author. Uh, it was a real pleasure to have you on the show. I hope that we can have you on again sometime. There's much more to discuss. Well, I would love to come back. Um, I so appreciate being here. I really appreciate Eming, who I've started to get to know, and her um, you know, variety of skills and your liveliness, Rush, Russell, and, you know, um, yeah, in uh, opening That's up. What that? What'd you say? <laughs> liveliness. Liveliness. Well, you're, you're a lively guy, you know. So, no, I, I think Eming's agreeing. It's a good word choice. I, but like I also it. want to say something, too, about Queston. I, I really want to do what I can to support your mission because I think that, that you're – you're you're on to moving in a direction that we really need, which is really addressing issues directly, truthfully, honestly, frankly, you know, uh, uh, not not pulling back from them. And I'm I feel honored to be part of that mission. You know, um, that's wonderful. Thank yeah. you for saying that. Absolutely, no, that, that De- means a lot. Definitely. I really appreciate it. Definitely. Do I get to say how people can contact me, or I shouldn't say that? Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. Include it on the show. That would be wonderful. Okay, Go sure. Ahead. So my my um, website is drb. That's David Robert Benjamin. Those three letters. Your y o u r best. Doctor B your best. Drb y o u r b e s t dot com. And I just love hearing from people. I have two newsletters. One comes out every second the second Sunday of every month, and that's called No Stress Sundays. And then on the fourth Sunday of every month is a different newsletter that says, let's do it. So that's more active oriented. And um, I just would welcome people. Uh, I love hearing from people. Um, I have no problem talking, as you well know. Uh, I am told. I told you I'm working on my podcast, which is I think it's going to be titled "What's Your Problem," and um, I just it's just so great to be involved. So thank you, thank you both. Fantastic. Thanks again for being here. And thanks, as always, to our producer, Eming. <laughs> kept us sounding good, kept us on task, chimed in. <laughs> the word. I, don't, yeah. I don't think you need to keep you on task. I, <laughs> that wasn't <laughs> really a thing I was doing. This time was good. Yeah, well, you know, this time we were able to stay on topic. We are known for our tangents, although I love the tangents. Yes, yes. Thanks to both of you. Thank and you. Uh, thanks, as always, to our listeners. Until next time, quest on, everybody. This episode of Quest on Media's Margin Call was produced in Richmond, California.